Did you know that if you went to church pretty much every Sunday and committed to a home group every midweek for all your adult life, that you would spend 9,200 hours in church? 9,000. Think about that. You were committed to be at church every Sunday, uh, that you were on holiday, that is. You're committed to be at a house group every week. You're not on holiday. 9,200 plus hours over a 40-year period. That's a long time, isn't it? Think about this. If you're working full-time during that same period of time for about 40 years, you will be at work for 72,000 hours. Think about that. 72,000 hours. It's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of things that we talk about as believers, we tend to think, oh, the application is on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. The application is in how we deal with each other when we get together for church. But really, much of what God calls us to, really actually all that God calls us to do, is meant to be applied in all of our lives. And one of the things that we spend most of our time doing, work, we, 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 we take very little time to think about how do, what does it mean to be a Christian at work? What is that supposed to look like? Now, what Paul's writing here in 2 Thessalonians is, is a bit cutting. It's very pointed. It's pointed because of the, the, the specific circumstances that he finds himself in. And we'll, we'll talk about those circumstances uh, that he's trying to address. But it does kind of give us a, a platform. It gives us an opportunity to talk about this issue of work. What does it look like to work? And, and if we've been, as we've been talking this last year, in this whole series about growing in love, we've talked about that love is the priority. Love is how we measure that we're actually growing. We, we, we want to know, how, am I, how do I know that I'm growing? Well, do I love God more than I've done before? Do I love people more than I've done before? Do I love God's Word more than I have before? Do I love the lost more than I have before? God calls us to growth. God who is love is, is doing a work in us to, to make us grow in love. And so common sense would tell us, okay, if we're to grow in love, an application of that should be the 72,000 hours that we spend in our adult lifetime at work. Now at this point, before you shut down, some of you are thinking, I, I, I'm not gainfully employed, okay? Or I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Or I'm just a student. It's not the same for me. No, we're talking about what it is that your time is spent doing vocationally. It doesn't really matter if it's a mixture of those things or it's any one of those things. The issue is, what do you spend your time doing vocationally? Because God wants to have you grow in love in that place. It's pretty common sense, isn't it? But it's interesting how hard it is for us to do this. So what I want to do is I want to give you four basic ways that we learn to grow in love at work. And Because I think that really what it boils down to is that if we're going to grow in love, it's going to require us to change how we actually do work. As Jesus followers, we need to do work in a way that's a bit different than someone who isn't a Jesus follower would do work. Now, Paul starts off this section by saying, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? It's pretty authoritative. He comes into this situation, and we should be clear that Paul had a great relationship with the church in Thessaloniki. It was a church that he planted. He went there. He was the first person to kind of witness to these people. He saw these people come to faith. He established this church, and it was a church that he had almost all good things to, to say. If, if you read 1 Thessalonians, you'll see he talked about how much they abounded in love, how they received from him, 
the Word as it is indeed the Word of God. And, and, and he just really praised these guys. He loved these guys. He had a, a heart for them. It says in 1 Thessalonians 2.8 that he, he said that they had become so dear to him that they didn't just, he didn't just share the gospel, but his own life. He just really wanted to be with these people. So he cared for these people in a very intimate way. And so when he's coming in here in the end of the second letter with some heaviness or with some, some clear authority, there's a reason for this. In fact, it's interesting because he says very pointedly, that we are to withdraw from any brother, that's anyone who names themselves to be a believer, who also walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Now we're going to see in this context that the tradition is talking about uh, what, uh, what Paul and the other apostles taught and did in regards to work, in regards to be, having a vocation. That's what he's re- referring to here in this case when he says tradition. Don't think of you know, how church service is supposed to look necessarily. He's talking specifically in this case how we're supposed to work. What is the, what is the Christian work ethic, basically? Now, what's also interesting is that he's doing this, he says, as a way of a command. Paul says, we command. We as the apostles, we command. And he says he's doing that in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is underscoring the authority of Jesus, the authority of the Word of God in this matter. He's being really clear. This is not just Paul saying, here's my opinion, here's how I think you might be the best witness, or here's how I think you'll you'll get the most out of your work work environment. He's saying, no, this is a command. This is God authoritatively saying, this is the standard that I'm setting for our work ethic. This is what, what Jesus would say to you. So, so it's important that we see this. Paul, when he talks about as apostles in the name of Jesus, he understood very clearly that he and the other apostles were speaking with the authority of God. In the same way an Old Testament prophet would speak, where that what he would say would have authority that people had to either, if, if they tested that, uh, what he was said and it came to be not true, they would kill that guy and say, no, you're a false prophet. But if they tested what he had said and it came true, they had to say, this is what God says, we've got to do it. Paul saw himself as an apostle, as well as the other apostles, speaking that way, and he's applying that authority to this subject of work, of vocation. And this brings up, really, the first point I want to make. If we're going to do work differently as Jesus followers, listen, we need to do work as an act of obedience. Do you know what the Scripture actually says about work? Listen to this. In Genesis chapter 2, in the very beginning, here's what the scripture says about work. Then the Lord took the man, that's Adam, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. Pretty simple verse. But do you realize that when that's being written there, Genesis chapter 2, this is before sin entered in creation. And you guys remember the book of Genesis, how God makes it clear to us about his creation. He creates something, and what does he say? It is good. It's good. The sixth day when he creates man and woman, he says, very good. God says, this is good. So what Genesis starts with, what what is the foundation for everything that we believe as Christians is the fact that there's a good God who has made a good creation. And part of that good creation is work. God made us as people to work. This is really important. Because sometimes we get the idea of the good life is what? Not working. But actually, it's not true. When God created man, he created man with not just the capacity to work, 
but with a drive, a purpose to work. Do you know why? Because our God is an act of God. You know, God's just not going to sit around on a cloud up there kind of going, what am I going to do? Nothing to do. I know, I'll just kind of make a universe. Fill it with people. No, that's not what he's out. He's an act of God. Our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. There's an intimate relationship there. There's an activity among them. So when God makes man in his image, he makes us to what? Be active, to do work. He puts them in a garden to tend it. It's also interesting to me that we might look at this and and think, okay, God wants us to work. Therefore, God makes Adam a computer scientist. Something really heavy and hard that only the best could possibly do. He doesn't do that. Makes him a gardener. He makes them do manual labor. Why? It's interesting to me uh, that, that even though we want complain about manual labor, do you guys know what the number one leisure activity is in this country? Gardening. Gardening. Why? But because there's something about tending the soil. There's something about wanting to see something grow that fits us as human beings. We see there's, there's a satisfaction to it. There's a there's something right about it. So even people who just don't want to do that kind of work, I happen to like doing that kind of work, but even people that don't want to do that kind of work, there's something about it they have to say, you know, there's something satisfying about tilling the, the soil, about seeing something grow. And so God does this. He establishes work. Work was created by a good God. Uh, work was created as good by a good God. But not only that, listen, if you listen to what Genesis says in Genesis chapter 3, there's, some, there's more to the story. After Adam and Eve fall, what does it say? It says, then, then to Adam, God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, saying, You shall not eat, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herbs of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till that you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. It's the curse. So this is important that we see this about work. One, we have to see work is good. God created it as a good thing. Because sometimes we think, now work's bad. If I could just get out from underneath work, then I'd be happy. It's not true. But we also have to see, listen, that work is broken. Just like everything else in the world is broken through sin. And because of that, listen, work's never going to be this ultimate thing. In fact, part of the brokenness is us wanting to have work yield to us, wanting to have work come easy, wanting to have work be satisfying. And guess what? It never quite is. So it's important that we see this, that when Paul is saying, listen, I'm commanding you by the authority of Jesus about work, he has in his mindset this background of work being a good creation and work being affected by the fall of man. You have to understand that. Now, if you drop down to verses 14 and 15 in in, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, he kind of ends the section by saying this. He says, If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person, do not keep company with that person, yet don't count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now here's what he's talking about here. He's talking about this, he's talking about this issue of what we call church discipline. Now probably a lot of you here haven't ever heard anybody talk about church discipline. You're not really sure what that means. Anybody ever heard the term excommunicated? You've heard that term? It sounds, it's a very heavy, scary word, isn't it? Excommunicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, there's an inside joke there. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a heavy thing, isn't it? 
It's this idea of like, you're God banished. You know, that's, that's what you think. But you have to understand this, this context. And I, I wish we had time to get into church discipline. But what, what Paul's saying here is this. He's saying, listen, when it comes to how the church disciplines its own, when it comes to how we as God's people kind of hold each other accountable, here's how it works. If, when, when God's people sin, we call each other to turn back to God. That's pretty obvious, right? If you know anything about church, you know anything about following Jesus, you know that God calls us to turn back to Him. That's what repentance is. We turn back to God when we've messed up. God, forgive me, I've sinned. I want to turn back to you and walk with you. That's repentance, okay? So church discipline comes in. Listen, when somebody, not when somebody sins, but when somebody refuses to repent. So we call each other to turn back to God. We make mistakes. We blow it every day, every single one of us. And so we call each other, hey man, let's get back with God. Let's go, let's do life the way God calls us to do life. Let's turn back to Him. When someone refuses to turn back to God, the church is called to discipline them. They were called to warn very seriously. And if they don't refuse, they don't heed that warning, they want to continue in their sin, we, we say, listen, you, you can't be in fellowship with us until you're willing to turn back to God. Now, we've only done that twice in our history, and both times the process took well over a year. And, and really, only those involved in the process would have known what's going on because we just treated these people like brothers. But the point is this. You, you think about, wow, what, how bad do you have to be to be kicked out of church? You know what I'm saying? How bad do you have to be? Well, according to Paul, you just have to be a bad worker. You have to be someone who says, I follow Jesus, but I'm lazy. I follow Jesus, but I'm going to complain about my boss. I follow Jesus, but I refuse to work. That's enough for church discipline. This is why I mean that when we talk about if we're going to grow in love at work, if we're going to change the way we not just see work, but we do work, we need to see the work that we're doing as obedience. Why do you have this job that you do? Why do you feel compelled to work hard? Because God tells me to. It really starts there. Obedience. Now, at this point, some of you guys might be going, you know, I'm already kind of turning off. This doesn't sound like love to me, and I'm not sure I like this. But let me ask you a really serious question. Jesus said this. Now, this is not me. This is not me kind of waxing theological or, or being the hard-nosed pastor. Jesus said, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. Obey. Obedience is a huge part of us rightly loving God. And obeying God and how He calls us to work is part of how we grow in our love for God. Are you guys following me on that? This is what God's calling them to. Now, we pick it up in verse 7. And he says, Paul says this, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. This word disorderly, he keeps using this, this idea of... of um, you know, we weren't uh, happenstance about the, how we did things. We, we, were, uh, we worked hard at what we were supposed to do. Things weren't chaotic all the time. And we actually were followed through with what we said we would do. It's, it, it, it holds all these ideas sort of together. But what he's doing here is he's wanting to kind of hold himself forth as an example. He and the other apostles, he and those who were in this church planting team. He's saying, um, he's saying listen, we, you know... <coughs> Sorry. He's saying, you know um, the kind of life that we lived in front of you. You know how we lived our lives. Now, it's interesting because Paul's setting himself as an example. He wants to be followed. And this is not the first time Paul said this. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 
11 verse 1, right? Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And this is important. It's important because Paul's not saying I'm the standard. Paul's saying Jesus is the standard. That's easy to say, isn't it? It's easy to say Jesus is the standard. He's the standard of all the good that we want to pursue. But how do you, what does that look like in an everyday situation? You only know that if you have other people you can, you can follow to say, oh, that guy follows Jesus. That's how I'm supposed to follow Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I, I want to follow, I want you to follow me because I'm wanting to follow Jesus. In other words, Paul's motivation here is to produce Jesus followers. He's not just wanting to get people who are a good workforce. He's wanting to produce Jesus followers. Part of that is how they work. He goes on to say in verse 8, he says, but nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked with labor and toil. Very strong words there. Working to the point of exhaustion, working to the point of being faint, he says. Uh, Night and day we did this, that we might not be a burden to you. So in other words, Paul says we worked really hard, and if you understand the context of Paul's ministry, he would go to an area, he would like sort of, uh, do all his preaching and teaching at night. And then basically, uh, when everybody else went to work, Paul himself would go to work and he would make tents, basically. That's what his day job was. He was a tent maker. And he did that not because he didn't have a right to be paid for the gospel. He did that because he didn't want to be a burden. In other words, listen, his motivation was not just to produce Jesus followers, but his motivation was to set an example of what it means to be a giver and not a taker. This is exactly what Jesus is like. This is why Paul, in talking about the same uh, kind of scenario about the reason why he worked really hard as a church planter so that he uh, could be an example, here's what he says to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. He says, And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need, notice, by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says, I want to be that kind of example. I want to work in such a way that you know it's a good thing to give. Verse 9. He says, not because we don't have authority. In other words, we did this not because we didn't have a right to uh, receive money, but notice, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Now, here's the thing for us to, to understand. We need to really kind of get this in our head, all right? Paul, what Paul is seeking to do here is not, again, to exalt himself as the standard. He's seeking to bring credibility to the gospel that he preached. He wanted people to trust Jesus. He wanted people to know how great Jesus is. So guess what he did? He worked hard. Check it out. Ephesians 4, 28, Paul talks about uh, let him who still, uh, stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, uh, what is good, they may have something to give. And then later on in 1 Corinthians, he's again talking to the Corinthians church because the Corinthian church is kind of mad at Paul because they won't take, Paul won't take money from them. And he goes, listen, I'm free from all men, and I've made myself, but I've made myself a servant of all that I might win the more. Paul says, this is why I'm doing this. Don't you get it? This is not about me being too proud to take money. This is about me wanting to reach people. Interesting, because what, Titus, what Paul says to Titus is this about workers. About bondservants, but this applies to workers for sure. Listen, he says, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they can do what? Adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Do you understand what this means? 
It means that what Paul did and what Paul preached with this. Listen, work to make the gospel attractive. Think about that. I want to ask you a very serious question. If the truthfulness of who Jesus is, what he taught, what he accomplished through his death and resurrection, if the truthfulness of that were judged solely on the basis of how you work or how you do your schoolwork as a student or how you take care of your home if you're a homemaker or how you do whatever it is you do, fill in the blank. If the truthfulness of who Jesus is and what he's done was judged by how you work, would people believe the gospel? Think about that for a second. Because that's exactly what Paul's talking about. Paul's not even talked about at all you trying to preach at work. That's not the point at all. He's not saying don't try to, he's not even saying preach at work. What he's saying is work so people would ask you, preach. Work so people would say, hey, why are you like this? Work that way. Now, here's the thing. Because we are those who not just believe, but strongly emphasize grace, we want to make much of Jesus. We want to make much of what He's done, not about what we do, because all of us fail all the time, don't we? This is why the series is not called Love, but Growing in Love. But because we're like that, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, well, you know, really, it's all about Jesus, not about me. Don't, don't look to me, man, you know. And we ignore the fact that God calls us as Jesus followers to set an example, even in how we work. That God's calling us, listen, to do work as a demonstration of the gospel. What does gospel mean? Good news. Yeah, it's news. It needs to be explained. Someone's got to preach it. Someone's got to explain what it means. Someone's got to tell people who Jesus is and what he's done. Yeah, it's news, but what else is it? It's good. And how do we demonstrate that goodness? What's the main platform? Well, let me tell you, if you're an adult, 72,000 hours to be a platform for the gospel. Work. Work. This is what Paul's trying to bring out. Now, we get to chapter, or verse 10, excuse me, and he begins to kind of talk about the specific people that he's addressing. He says in verse 10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither will he eat. Now, he doesn't say if anybody can't work. Some of you guys, you just can't work. You have uh, physical disabilities. You're not about to work. You can't, you can't work. You long to work. I, I won't say who they are because I don't want to embarrass them but there's someone in the church that has a disability they can't work. And man, probably every week they're like, please give me something to do. I hate feeling like I'm not serving. But they really can only do very little if a debilitated illness. But I love that heart. I love that heart that says, even though I can't do anything, I just, I gotta try to do something. I love that. But there were people in Paul's day who weren't in that situation. It wasn't that they couldn't work. They refused to work. It's interesting because we live in a day and age where it's hard to say that, isn't it? In fact, even me saying that, I'd be wondering if you guys are thinking, I bet he voted for Tories. You're trying to lockstep me into what you think I might be politically. I didn't vote here, so you can't ever accuse me of that. But it's got nothing to do with politics. 
It's got fully to do with what God calls us to be. Interesting to me. John Calvin describes what these people are like. Listen, John Calvin wrote this. He said, these are those who live by the sweat of others while they themselves do nothing for the common good to help the human race. That's who he's talking about, those who refuse to work. <clears throat> see, here's the thing. If we're going to grow in love at work, we need to then not just see work as different. We need to do work as God's provision. You don't work, you don't eat. Why don't you eat? Why, why, why is that? Because you're refusing God's provision. You're like the person who sits at the table and says, I'm so hungry. The plate's right in front of you. Yeah, but I don't want to lift my fork and stick it in my mouth. The Bible actually says in the book of Proverbs that lazy man's too lazy to stick his spoon and put it in his mouth. God's provision for us is work. That's how it is 90% of the time. The way God's going to provide for us is through us working. We have to understand this. Interesting, because he also goes on to say in verses uh, 11 and 12, he says, look, we've, we hear that there's some among you who are walking in a disorderly manner. They're not working at all. In fact, they're busybodies. It's it, kind of a play on word in the Greek. It's like they're busy doing nothing. And what they're getting into as being busybodies is, is causing problems for people. That's why he says, you guys need to just go work and just eat your, your food in quietness. The idea is they're not wanting to work. They're letting the church take care of them financially, and then they're spending all their time going around gossiping, slandering, getting into false doctrine, all kinds of stupid stuff. Because this is what happens. Listen, when we refuse to work, you know what it does? It leads to other sins. You've all heard the saying, right? The devil makes work for idle hands. It's true. How many th times do we get into trouble at work because we're not working? How many times are you supposed to be studying or typing out a report for for your boss, but you just want to check Facebook really quick. And what do you do? You practice voyeurism. You, you know, you covet. You, you, you know, you, 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 you slander, or at least you enjoy swallowing the slander that you see coming up on the screen. You get into all kinds of sins. Why? You're not working. You're doing this instead. And it's not a good witness. Notice what Paul says as well. In, uh, to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6.1, he says, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Notice why, listen. So that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Again, going back to, think about your students, think about your lecturers, the ones you are, that you turn your assignments to. You who are gainfully employed, think about your boss, your immediate supervisor. Do you work in such a way that they would slander your faith in Jesus? They would slander Christianity, Christians. That guy never really pays attention. He never follows through. He never does what he's supposed to do. She does shoddy work last minute. Think about this. That Jesus is saying, the scripture is saying, that God's provision for us to be witnesses, God's provision for us to have what we need is found in work. I mean, it's not wrong to pray, God, help me to get a good score on the test. It's not wrong at all. It's good. It's wrong to pray that if you don't ever study. I mean, isn't that common sense? Seriously. 
It's not wrong to say, God, I want a promotion at work. But isn't it wrong to pray that and never work hard for that promotion? Seriously. It's not wrong to pray. In fact, it's important that we pray, God, make me a witness at work. Help me to have opportunity to testify of your goodness. But is that ever going to happen if you don't testify of his goodness by how you live? We ask God to provide things for us, but we don't lift a hand to do anything. We don't, we don't do the things that he's called us to do for that provision. Now, I want you to <coughs> notice as well, again, again, I'm reading in Ephesians 4.28 because Paul writes, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor. There's also something about, listen, there's something about us working that testifies to the change that God's brought in our life. Now, and I'll have to say, my dad instilled in me, I, I didn't grow up in a church, I didn't grow up in, in the church, I didn't grow up as a believer, my parents weren't believers, family wasn't believers, but my dad uh, raised me to have a pretty good work ethic, or at least the idea of, you know, you, you work for what you get. You don't just take something for free. And so when I was sick um, as a young person, I'm talking about like nine years old, unless I was vomiting or I had vomiting and diarrhea, my dad, if I was sick, would I have to say, well, you're not staying home by yourself. So he had to go to work, single parent. He said, you can go to my business and sit in the back of the store with a blanket and just try to rest. But if he came to the back of the store, he came to his office back there, and he saw me playing Legos, or he saw me playing Hot Wheel cars, he'd say, all right, come here. Here's a broom. Sweep the back store. <coughs> but I'm sick. You're not that sick, obviously. And I'll tell you, it did something for me. And he used to tell me, he says, you know why I do this? It's because either you're going to work hard at school and endure when you're sick, or you're going to work hard like this and endure when you're sick. And let me tell you, it's better if you go to school. Now, that might seem harsh, my God, so old school, it's so harsh. That, that could even be considered abuse in some context. But the truth was, it was just a father trying to get his son to know work is important. I say that because before I was a Christian, I saw work as important. But here's what happened. When I became a Christian, my idea towards work totally changed. Because when I used to work like that, it was all about me, I'm a hard worker. Look at me, I'm a hard worker. I got my first job when I was 11 years old. My dad lied and said I was 12 so I could get this first job. 11 years old, and I've not been unemployed one day since. I'm 47. And I, pride, take pride in that. I'm a hard worker. And I remember being 16 years old, uh, going to my high school guidance counselor, sitting down with him and him saying, okay, describe yourself to me. What's your biggest characteristic? And I said, I'm a hard worker. And he started laughing out loud because he looked at my grades and he said, what? Your grades are horrible. You're a hard worker. He's lucky I didn't slug him. I was so mad. My pride was so offended. But something happened a couple years later when I, I met Jesus. I became a Christian. That it wasn't that I started working less hard, but I started realizing that work was not about me. It was not about me being prideful. Look at me. I can work and I don't quit. And I, I work when I'm sick. I'll preach when I'm sick. It's not about that. It became about, you know, Lord, I want to work for you. You're my motivation. I want you to be pleased with what happens with me. Which brings us to the final verse, verse 13. Because here's the, here's the deal. We need to, if we're going to grow in love at work, we need to do work as an act of obedience. It's one. We also need to do work as a demonstration of the gospel. That's two. We need to do work as God's provision. This is how God's going to get us through. <laughs> That's three. But also, it's very simple here. We need to do work as doing good. 
Look what Paul says in verse 13. He says, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in what? Doing good. Doing good. Now, we have to understand something, okay? Doing good, good does not mean easy. I think one of the mistakes that we make as Christians, because we, we know that God's made us as individuals, we know that God has given us, wired us a certain way, and so there's certain, there's, there probably is at least a, a, a narrower group of things that we, should, we would best be suited for vocationally. And it's a glorious thing when you, the, what you do vocationally just fits with what you're wired to do. It is a great thing. I say that. I know God called me to ministry. The fact that I get paid to do ministry full-time is a massive blessing. I Seriously, sometimes I pinch myself and think I'm so blessed to be able to do this. It's a great thing. But this is the first job that's ever happened. The truth is, for years I did work that I didn't think was not that great, but it was a good, good it was, they were good jobs. And it's funny because sometimes we think that there's only way we're going to be a real witness for Jesus at our workplace is if we're doing work that really satisfies us, that really fulfills us. Let me ask you guys that are, that are parents, ever felt like, especially the, the moms that do sort of, some, sort of have to stay home, maybe when the baby's first born, or whatever the case might be, do you always think, isn't it wonderful that I have this child and my whole job is to serve them? No, that is not always the case, is it? There's great joy, but also sometimes you're going, this is driving me nuts. Oh, it's the greatest job in the world. It is in some ways, but in other ways, it's horrible. All of us have had jobs. All of us have had bosses that were difficult to work for. So good is not easy. No, what he says is this. Don't grow weary in doing good. It's going to be tiring to do good sometimes, but keep going. But here's why it's good. It's good, listen, because, the, because people benefit from our efforts. That's what makes it good. Think about what you do. Seriously. Even if you're a student, because you might think as a student, I'm only benefiting myself, right? But aren't you as a student studying so that you can get a degree, so that you can get a job to benefit somebody else? Aren't you trying to be, uh, get equipped so that you can be better at doing stuff for other people? Isn't that what it's for? There's a, there's a goodness in doing work because people benefit from what you do. Now, this is where it gets really hard because sometimes we struggle with, what good does my work do? I mean, it's hard sometimes. But the truth is, I'd be willing to bet there's some good you can find, even if that good is a very temporary goodness in that I'm doing good because I'm helping my boss do his job. Again, look at what the Scripture says. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6. I'm almost done. Where is it? There it is. Paul says, Bond servants. Oh, that's the wrong one. That's the wrong one. Sorry, here it is. Paul says, and let us not grow weary in, while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, he says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially those of the household of faith. In other words, doing good, the assumption that it's good because what? It benefits somebody else. Now, this sounds so like obvious, so common sense, but it's amazing how even though we say, yeah, I just want to do good for others, how often what we're motivated by work is, is doing good for me. Isn't that true? I want me to look good. I want me to feel good. I want me to benefit. And really, if we're going to be Jesus followers at work, it means we say, Lord, how can I bless these people? 
that boss who just seems to be unfair in their demands, that coworker who seems to never carry their weight, that customer who's never satisfied with what we do, how can I do good to them? I don't want to do good to them. They don't deserve good. Neither do you. But God showed you the ultimate goodness by sending Christ to die for you. Paul says this also to Timothy 1, Timothy 6, 2. He says, And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Sometimes we, we think, oh, I have a, a boss that's a Christian, so he's not going to be too hard on me or she's not going to be too tough. She should be nicer to me. And then when they're not nice and they hold you to account for what you do, you're like, oh, come on. We're supposed to be related. Why is this going on? Well, actually, though, what we should be thinking is, okay, this is, this is my brother or my sister, and they might be going through a rough time. It may not be a, a pretty tough boss, but they're going to benefit if I do well, and that's going to motivate me to do well for them. Almost done. We do work as doing good. Why good? Because good also, listen, it's a means of worship. It's good. Work is good. It's doing good because it's a means of worship. Work can be worship. Listen to this. Paul says, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. In other words, you work for this person. You, you submit to their lead. Why? Because you're submitted to Christ. Not with eye service, not as man pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service. That is, I want what's best for them. That's why I'm serving them this way. Doing service as to the Lord, he says, and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, notice, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Do you know what that means? It doesn't matter what position you have in the company. It doesn't matter if your boss recognizes what you do is valuable or not. If the customers like your work or not. It doesn't make a hill of beans. You know what matters? How does Jesus think about you? What does Jesus think about your work? God, I want to worship you. You're worthy that I work hard even if nobody appreciates it. You're worthy of it. And you're going to reward me for it. And he even tells bosses, he says, Yeah, new masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. What's the name of our church? What is it? Servants Church. Why is it called Servants Church? Because Jesus is a servant and it's his church. Your work ethic, my work ethic, should come from the fact that our Savior serves. He came as a servant. See, guys, listen. 72,000 hours you have. Gives you a lot of time to practice. A lot of time to grow. But I can imagine, listen, I really mean this, I can imagine that when we change how we do work, as Jesus followers, you know what's going to happen? People are going to change how they see Jesus. Do you believe me?
you believe the scripture? Listen, God wants to do great things. God wants to use us to reach people. And it's not going to just happen in the 9,000 hours that we spend at church. It's going to happen in the 72,000 hours that we spend at work.